Here we are, Peter, for the first time yeah. in our podcast history. We are not in our studio. We're actually on location at the MOD, the Museum of Dufferin, which is located in Dufferin County mm -hmm. in Ontario, Canada, the world. And uh, we're going to wander around. The reason we're here is because the theme of our conversation today is about sapiens signatures, signatures which is leaving our mark on the world, why we do it, what the impulse is to do that, and how relevant it is in 2019. You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 111, Time Trek, Sapien Signatures, Traces of Us. The things you lean on are things that don't last While it's just now and then My line gets cast into these time passages There's something back there that you left behind Oh, time passages We're here in the museum and there's all kinds of exhibits Beautiful Little houses within the museum itself Complete houses this structures. is actually really nice. So let's go in here. This is a, a tavern uh -huh. set up. Uh, here we are with... They've what? even got the background Look noises. at this. This is real. They're here. The people are here. They're yeah. having a good time in the pub at the Hotel Alexander. I love it. To give the feeling of that time. Hotel uh, Alexandra. Yeah. And this is part of an exhibit of... Um, Want to play some cards? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you have aces and eights? Yeah, I do. Rummy. <laughs> um, there's uh, exhibits on stills and alcohol. Look at that there's cash register. Cash register, gold. Piano. Colored, an old piece, upright piano. Made by who? R.S. Williams and Sons Company. Toronto. Beautiful. It's built in Toronto. This is like, like 1910 or something. Mm -hmm. uh, piano. And there's a picture of Orangeville, yeah. where you live. 1912. 1912. Mm -hmm. So we have these images, we have objects and display cases. What do we got here? Coffee makers, tea makers. Oh yeah, tea makers. I love the sound experience. effects. Yeah, this is great. So this is around 1900. Uh-huh. So this is the feeling of it. Let's take it outside. Okay. So uh, Temperance and Temptation is the name of that exhibit. We've got old uh, automobiles here and a carriage. This is the Tin Lizzie. Beautiful. We'll go in there in a sec. So we've um, got a turn-of-the-century car. Yeah, this was, what, 1911 or 12. Ford Model T runabout, the Tin Lizzie. It's too bad this is only audio because it's really something to see. Yeah, oh yeah. The engineering is interesting to look at. and seat in Rumble the back. seat in the back. So you could bring grandma and strap her in, right? Wow. Of course, today that wouldn't work very well. If you were using this car today, Grandma would be quite stoked. <laughs> would be have a heart attack on the way, right? We got old shoe forms here. So and this is all a collection of stories. Well, it is. Mm -hmm. it's, what they've done is they've interspersed modern people, interesting in the community with the old, right? Modern yes. firefighters with the old equipment, which is mm -hmm. interesting juxtaposition. Old story, um, new story, yeah, same story. Look at this, this yeah. horn. For warning people, I guess, and to communicate with your fellow workers in the fire. Really interesting. 
I have to say, Harry, this being my first visit, it's I'm impressive. Did not expect this. This is a serious enterprise, preserving mm -hmm. the past, archiving the past, and well laid out. Yes. We've got a light on here, but these are sort of samples of original furniture in a kitchen, say. Little pantry yeah. areas here. Everything made of wood and iron. Wood, wood burning stoves. Yeah, wood and iron. Mm -hmm. Big time. The oh, noise in the background is that the air? Yeah. Or the so rain? Like That's the actual oh, rain, the rain outside. That's right. It's it's pouring rain today. Mm -hmm. So this is not a sound it. effect we've added. This is actual rain on the roof, which is pretty cool. This right. is really interesting. The way they've done this, mm -hmm. uh, the old with the new. Yeah, yeah. This is really neat. Quite like this idea. But it begs the question, you know, we did ask Laura mm -hmm. uh, what would happen if it wasn't here, if this stuff wasn't here. Would the stories be lost? Would the signature be erased? Or is the signature... Well, certainly decreased. I mean, there are so many sources of the same information in different places that you wouldn't lose it altogether, but you would, the local people would be deprived yeah. of it. Right. In terms of level of loss, I don't know. As I said, there's so much because the story is the same. Mm -hmm. It's not another story being told, it's the same story being told differently. Right? Oh, wow. Here we are. I'd like to go upstairs. Yeah, let's do it. So we're in a, a kind of a replica of an old... 19th century home here. Yep, this is a recreation of it. Wow, and the lights just came on. Using the original furnishings. There's a sample of bedroom. Look how tidy and tiny things were back then. Tell you one right. thing, uh, fire codes wouldn't have applied. No, 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 weren't thinking too much about that. This is really quite nice. Notice how small relative this, to the way we live today. Very, very small. The spaces. This is actually quite European. <laughs> That's how small the bedrooms are there. But it's beautiful. Yeah, it's very cozy and warm, right? Now, these houses wouldn't have been warm. They would have been cold in the wintertime, heated only by fire. But this is very impressive what they've done here. Yeah. Gathering objects. And for people who think you can't comfortably live in seven or eight hundred square feet, this is living proof. Mm-hmm. And the craftsmanship. Look at the bed. Mm-hmm. The, the, the amount of detail. The, bed, the detail. Right? And there's no plastics. No, not a plastic anything to be seen. Which is very appealing to me. Fabric, wood, metal. Mm-hmm. Paper. Even walking down these stairs is different. Wow. Well, you know, as I maybe mentioned to you, we stayed in a place in France, I just got back Monday, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was 800 years old. And so we walked up and down these stairs who were 800 years old every yeah. day. And I recall that too, because we were in Nice about 10 years ago. And as you may or may not remember, the actual steps had a kind of a hollowing yes. effect in the center from where? That's the signature of Sapiens yes. on those steps, right? Right. Worn Solid right stone actually worn so that it's concave when you're walking on it. Slightly yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that was fascinating to, to go in the footsteps of your ancestors, of thousands of people, right? So there's all these displays. There's music, musical instruments. Mm -hmm. There's little interactive exhibits of old musical toys. Yeah. It's kind of cool, right? For the kids. So I don't know how old these are, but these are A glaring old. absence of electronics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that they don't decide to bring a, a sound effect into the general space. It's just quiet. Yes. It allows you to contemplate. But even the displays themselves, the old displays, there's a complete absence of any electrical device. 
Yes. Because of the time. We're Other than the light? Yes. Uh, it's just these objects. Look at this. Mm-hmm. Those are original doors from a fire hall, painted on fire hall. And you notice, too, that there's no mystery. No. Plain words. Yeah. Simple. Bold, simple fonts. Yeah. No fancy decorations around it. Straightforward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, people were. Life was simpler back then. Here we are with uh, Laura Camilleri, who is the chief archivist, can we say that? My title is actually archivist for the County of Dufferin. Archivist for the County of Dufferin, mm-hmm. here at the Museum of Dufferin, newly named Museum of Dufferin, mm-hmm. in Dufferin County, Ontario, Canada, the world, <laughs> is what I like to say. <laughs> and uh, we're going to ask Laura a few questions about archiving and leaving our signature on the world. And my first question to you, Laura, is what is the significance of archiving all of these objects and documents. Why is it important? People like to have a sense of self and they want to know that they are leaving their mark on the world. So by keeping their past, their items, their stories, their letters, their pictures, their organizational records, we're learning more about them and they're never really leaving. So they're still leaving their mark with us. And it's also, think of it as evidence for the future. When freedom of information and copyright expire on something, then they're now open and public to the world. And the world can learn more about what happened 75 years ago. Can you put objects in that category of freedom of, of information? No, not, no, it's, it's, not objects themselves. No. I'm thinking more about the archival records okay. and yeah. the stories that go behind them. And how do you determine what is relevant enough to be in a museum like this. You know, a pair of shoes from 60 years ago, how does that make it into the museum over something else from that time, let's say? Everything is relevant. It's just where is its relevance? Is it relevant to Dufferin? Is it relevant to Toronto? Is it relevant to Canada? Is it relevant to a historical society? Who sees the relevance is really what the story would be. And for Dufferin County, what's relevant to us is what happened lived, shaped, occurred, made a difference, made an impact in Dufferin County. Mm -hmm. And every museum or archives has a different collecting sphere. We call it a mandate. Any of the objects that would have impact or relevance or a story to Dufferin County make it into our collection sphere. And if they don't, we help our donors find a new home for them where they will have the most impact. Basically, what you're talking about is uh, sustaining a story. Absolutely. That's my job. So my question would be, what happens if we didn't have it? If we didn't have the story? What if we just didn't have this resource? What would that mean for society or for Well, I might cry a little bit, (laughs) but because stories are life. They're our past. They're Mm. our culture. If we don't have them, then we've lost a little bit of ourselves. If you want to go really highbrow. Part of the inspiration for this podcast is uh, Yuval Harari's books, yes. Sapiens, Homo Deus, and Lessons for the 21st Century. And I was thinking about what he was saying. He was saying that the reason Sapiens evolved to kind of take over the planet, if you like, mm-hmm. was our ability to share in these large stories or fictions. Cooperate. And then to cooperate around those stories to create agriculture, civilization, civilization roads, everything we know, 
that is the signature of our civilization on the planet. Yes. Right? And it just occurred to me that the larger the group, the bigger the footprint or signature. Ancient Egyptians built the pyramids. That yes. took a lot of people right. cooperating around a fiction which created this gigantic object which lasted through time to now and beyond. And you could argue, is that a good thing? Well, in a so, sense, we're in the middle of exactly the same thing on a smaller scale. She even described that in her conversation with us about wanting to keep something for the future. Okay, that's a smaller scale here right. in Dufferin County. Right. But now, let's say the signature is the atomic bomb. Ah. Right? That's a large-scale effect, large-scale signature that could have incredible effects on the planet. Affecting tens of millions tens versus of, a few thousand. Sure. Our ecological crisis is a signature of this civilization mm -hmm. at this time. Do we want that to be the legacy for the future? And, and are we bound by these stories? Are these stories limiting us? How so? How would they limit? Well, we're here in this story, yeah. which is essentially the same story repeated in a different way. What you see here is a story that you could duplicate in a thousand places. That's right. Basically taking things that actually occurred, repeating them, staging time, evolution through time, different clothes, different yeah. inventions. Seen one, seen them all kind of thing? Kind of. I mean, obviously specific to the area, the time frame is the same. The clothing may vary in style, but the technology at the time that allowed the creation of whatever is similar. So you think we're maybe too obsessed with history and we surround ourselves with these objects too much in a way? Well, there's to, different schools you know, of thought. I think right? that some people like the familiar ground as a base mm -hmm. and some people will feel we're handcuffed by it because it keeps us doing the same thing yeah. as an example let's talk about this house that we're in right now as we're standing here in front of this sort of potbelly stove. Pot belly stove and yeah so this was created at a certain time in a certain way yeah to build this house you had to have craftspeople right and those craftspeople have had to have a certain training to become craftspeople to create this home. Yeah. Those systems worked very well hundreds of years ago in the sense that you did something and you could do the same thing for 100 or 200 years or 300 years. A blacksmith in the 1600s wasn't that different from a blacksmith in the 1900s other than maybe having a different tool. Right. But essentially did the same function. Yeah, yeah. It's not like that anymore. No, no. It's more about not just repeating the thing, but how can we use that to predict or look forward or prepare right. for what's coming? But Harari's point is we can't in a way because things are going to be so different right. in 50 years from now that we won't even recognize ourselves in the same way we did before. All of these objects are connected to a certain view of what the human being is, what their mind is like, how they operate right. in the world. This world, even compared to our digital world now, is a completely alien thing, mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. All of this decorative stuff, this beautiful woodwork, it might as well be 20,000 years ago in the caves of Lascaux. Yes, That's in France. That's how old yeah. it is, right? As a signature, if you like. And 50 years from now, Harari is saying that will be different as well, mm -hmm. pro profoundly different. Yes. And that's why I asked the question to Laura earlier as well, regarding the significance of it in terms of the story. Yeah. How important is it to keep that story? Right. Versus creating a situation where you open the possibilities of changing the story. Mm -hmm.
Box, box. People mistake the fact that the internet is ubiquitous with the fact that it's permanent. Abby Smith Rumsey is the author of When We Are No More, How Digital Memory is Shaping Our Future. She began her scholarly career studying how information was purposely deleted in the totalitarian Soviet system. These days, she thinks, we have a new kind of storage and retrieval problem. It isn't permanent at all, and in fact, the thing about digital technology is you can inscribe something onto a computer, but you can't put it on a shelf and expect to pick it out at random in 50, let alone 500 years, and be able to read it. In fact, you won't have the hardware or the software to do that. So it's very fragile indeed. And while there might be plenty online not worth saving, Ramsey sees much higher stakes. I think we're losing, obviously, the past, but by saying that we're losing the past, the record of the past, we're saying that, in a sense, we're losing our own memory and sense of who we are. Box, box. Whatever we create goes out into the world, and if it lingers, if it stays for a long time, it's a kind of signature, right? Mm -hmm. People who built these structures built them for practical reasons. They didn't build them as a signature to stay right. in the world that people would remember them by 100 years from now. They built them so people could be housed and sheltered and warm, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? So in that sense, it wasn't a deliberate signature on the planet that they were making. They were just surviving. Yes. More and more, people began to create things to leave a mark. Like, for example, architects creating these incredible buildings not just for the efficiency of housing people, no. et cetera. They want to be identified by it. They want to be identified. That's my mark, my signature, my style. You know, I do that. arches, I do circles, I use yeah. this material, I use that. Same with writers who have a certain way of writing, et cetera. My signature voice kind of thing that Harari is talking about lead to shared legacy. The idea that our country, our civilization, our community is unique and is contributing something to the world that no one else is. And here it is, carved in stone, out there, made to last for a thousand years or more, uh, our signature on the planet, as if our community is so incredible that you know, it has to be that way. So what are your thoughts on that, Harry? Well, I personally feel, here's my thought, an artist creates something, puts it out into the world, not in the hopes that it's going to last a thousand years, mm -hmm. right? An artist creates something because there's an urge to make something out of the life we have been given, period. And to see where it goes, to play in the world, which is a far cry from a Trump building a tower and naming it after himself, thinking it's going to live for like he's a pharaoh or something mm -hmm. and putting his signature on everything. Totally different. So well, the, based on what you just described, I would say that the artist is much more in line with the present and what's happening now and going forward. Yeah, and also more in line with this environment and the people who built these things, the craftspeople right. who put their heart and soul and expertise into it. And they weren't there to sign their name on everything. Do you see a signature on anything here by the artist who built this bench? Which is really interesting because Harari specifically states that art is one of the most important things to consider going forward in civilization. To temper the uh, technological artificial intelligence that's creeping in and the biotechnology that is allowing us to hack yes. and each to other. And to maintain the human element. Yeah, right, exactly.
So the signature we create, it's either something that is a kind of delicate and sophisticated and allowed to disappear. We're all going to disappear. The Buddha said on his deathbed, nothing endures, mm -hmm. which implies that there's no signature of anything that's going to endure. Be water, my friend. Be water, my friend. Uh, which brings us to the idea of nature. Mm. And the, to me, Gaia, or Mother Earth, her signature is the only signature of value. And that signature is the nature we see around us. Right? And that nature isn't grandiose, doesn't have big ideas. It just does what it does naturally, psychically. And that kind of thinking also removes a lot of the shackles that we've created in our society. Everything from our base education to the industrial revolution to capitalist idea of control, power. Mm -hmm. These are all man-made. Yes. Whereas the things you're talking about is far more encompassing. Yeah, it's something that lasts as a signature, but not in a heavy-handed way. Not in a way that says, look at me. And this is, in a sense, this podcast is the third of a trio of podcasts from Freezing Footprints yes. to the Branding Podcast. Which we just did last which week. Which we just did to this one here. Mm -hmm. All to do with the impulse to archive, the impulse to brand ourselves so that people see us in a certain way, and the mm -hmm. impulse to preserve and leave a signature. Preserve our perceived relevance. Yeah, right. <laughs> the fat, big-headed head, big -headed ego of, yeah. of humanity. Let's, so here's a little thought before we step out of the room. Okay. I found that just being in this little room, in this particular environment, it made the conversation even more enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. You know, something about the acoustics is nice too. There's mm -hmm. a certain quiet quality to the acoustics in that room. I love museums and all of that myself. It's more in terms of, does it keep us in one place? Does it keep us from exploring other stories? Not if you've got the right people maintaining your stories. If they have a similar personality to what most archivists do, we are detectives by nature. We want to know more. We want to find more. We don't want to hoard it. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want to share everything we've right. got. So the more stories we can find and collect, the more we can share and tell the rest of the world what's going on. Right. I mean, we're all limited by things like Freedom of Information and Medical Records Acts and things like that. Any legislation, but within that, we tell you everything we can because we think it's pretty amazing. It's also <laughs> to authenticate, right? Absolutely. Here's yeah. a hypothetical question. Among all the objects and documents that we see in 2019 in Dufferin County, mm -hmm. what do you think would survive and maybe even show up in a museum 75, 100 years from now? Well, we've got a great mix of stuff that's available to us now, maybe more than ever, because we live in a digital world and right. there are disadvantages and some serious advantages to that. So we're keeping everything. Everything is documented somewhere. Social media, your personal records, your laptop, your phone, your computer, all of that. And when people want to donate, they literally bring you the box and you can take what you want off of that box. Mm -hmm. And we can download items off of Facebook and Instagram and we can see people's lives that way and maintain a story that way. Things are being shared like crazy. And within that, I think there's also a new relevance among the younger generation that their parents or their grandparents' items still have relevance, maybe not to my kids, which is the story that I get, but 
somebody would like to see this. So we're getting a real mix of stuff mm-hmm. and people are realizing that it's worth keeping, it's worth saving. And mm-hmm. I think that's because partly of the promotion that museums and archives and historical societies are doing in the community is to let people know that it's not just stuff. It's right. all got a relevance, it's all got a story. That's what the outreach that all the places have been doing is to try and let people know it's, your story's still relevant, share it. Well, speaking of modern times, segues into the whole technology factor and the way things are changing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of all this material that you do have. Right. Are you modifying or changing the approach to which you distribute either its contents or its information, given that a lot of it is now in the digital world? Uh, A lot of the talk is more about how do we preserve it in the format that we receive it. Software is constantly changing. So how do we maintain something that came in in Microsoft Word 2013 and now we're heading into 2030? How am I going to open that document again? Right. Mm-hmm. That, so there's a lot of discussion among people how to maintain it as the way that we receive it or in another format that won't lose its original Preserve format, the original that format. Kind of thing. Yeah. So how do we share it? Well, it, it's no different than sharing what we receive in a hard format. So if we can preserve it the way that we preserve something in a hard format, we would still share it in the same timeline in the same way. Mm-hmm. So digitally, it feels like it's easier to access and easier to manipulate and easier to change. But with things like PDFs and locks on your files, it's not as easy as people would presume it would be Mm -hmm. to make those changes and maybe alter your history, which is some of the questions I get. The Cornflower Gallery. Okay. Yeah, which was just renovated last year, Mm -hmm. completely renovated. And here we are going up the stairs, mm-hmm. near the echo in the uh, echo chamber. Okay. Thank you. Cornflower Glass Gallery heading into, yep. Yeah. Here we are. Entree into the Cornflower Glass. There's a lot more work here than I thought. Collecting these things is not an easy thing to do. A lot of work involved. So this is cornflower from the 1920s. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, 1915, the artistry, look at that. Incredibly beautiful glass. Clear glass that's been etched. And the cornflower design is what sets it apart Ah. as a historic item in this area. It was a a major activity to create the cornflower glass. And you have electric blue glass. Very nice. Still cornflower. The motif is there always. The cornflower Mm. motif. Mm -hmm. So this is what people drank out of, ate on, the plates they ate on. Real glass, not yeah, plastic. Yeah, and I would presume people who had some money. This looks very mm-hmm. uh, sophisticated and pricey. You know? Custom work. <laughs> custom, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, customized work. And again, do you see any signatures on any of these glass structures? No. I don't see anything that says this is a, you know. So-and-so doing it. No. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't see it there. So the one value of, of preserving things like this is the recognition of how the idea of beauty and aesthetics have changed what they were like. I mean, we still recognize beauty. Elevating the art form. Yeah, these are stunning pieces. They really are gorgeous pieces of glassware that people would use to eat on. Very collectible. Part of the history of the area. And the cornflower glass became famous around the world. Mm -hmm. Very powerful history, which no doubt was important to the economy of the area as well. Mm -hmm. Among all of these artifacts and documents, thousands of them, I take it, in the museum, mm-hmm. 
Is there anyone that sort of touches you personally in a profound way or you feel really close to for whatever reason? I'll preface this by saying I'm not a collector. Okay. If you were to come to my home, I have nothing like that at my house. I keep a fairly minimal home and everything yep. there does have significance to me. My collection is here at work. So everything that's back there feels like uh, sort of like a little baby. For me, it's very personal. And I go through my favorites as things come across my desk. We refine things that we haven't seen in a while. My current favorite is actually a collection that we have of uh, gentlemen's pieces from the military collection. In the 12 years I've been here, I've seen little pieces of it. I haven't seen it as a whole. And I got to see the whole collection spread out as a unit. And as a unit, you can see this is one gentleman and one family's life on a table. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just was really touched by their entire life was right there. And I was reading about this gentleman joining the war. And, and then I saw the diary and the three days that the mother was informed that her son had passed were blank, but every other day was solid with writing in that diary. And you can't help but feel, and I'm getting all warmed up about this already. <laughs> you can't help but feel for what these families took on. And it, and it touches you just seeing things like that. Yeah. Are there challenges for you now that things are changing with new generations, technology and so on? Uh, do you find any mm -hmm. difference in the museum itself in terms of the way people visit it, what they think about it, the responses to it? Yeah, I think the question is, why isn't it available online is probably the mm. most common question that I receive. Mm. And I'd like to say it's because of time and money, but it's not actually true. Time is certainly a factor, but it's the quantity of the items that we need to make available to people. Uh, some of these items are incredibly fragile and they can't be scanned in the format that we have the technology for right now here at the museum. We can't take a good photograph of it. So you can't see what's written on there given the mm. what we have here. So it's really for us, it's just being able to give you what we can and we give you as much as we can, but it never seems like it's enough. They all want more. <laughs> so your challenges are primarily logistical. Pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. And one final personal question. What would you like your signature to look like? On the world? Yeah. I've never thought of myself as significant to leave a signature on anything, to be honest. Well, I'm we're all stories. You're a story. Yeah. I'm a story. What would be your signature statement, let's say? Well, I guess my signature statement would be, yes, I found it because I think of myself as a little detective. And there's always that one little nugget that when I'm writing somebody's history or their, like their family history or their house history, it's like, yes, I found it. And it freaks people out in the classroom or the reading room. So they're like, <laughs> well, Laura found something interesting. What was it? Now everybody wants to know. <laughs> I guess in a personal way, I don't think of myself as really leaving a mark on anything. I'm helping other people leave their mark and maintain their mark and their story. You feel a profound sense of connection? Yes. And I think you'd want to find that from any other archivist. We get very connected to what we're touching and we're learning. Archivist burnout is huge because we can't help but place ourselves in that story and what we're reading and what we're archiving. And mm -hmm. we sort of take it on. Thank you very mm -hmm. much, Laura. You're welcome. That's great. Okay, let's make our way back down and we'll finish off our little on the... On location podcast here. For me, the, the big thing here is just the, the kind of a warm and fuzzy feeling I get just being here. <laughs> well, it's very comforting. The past is comforting. 
The stories are contained. They're not. But what I'm still talking about is the lack of distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There's a beautiful silence. And it's nice. I can hear the echo of the room. I can hear people in the distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's this? These are some uh, children's writings. I made a bird and the sunset because my parents loved the environment in India and they loved the birds and cows. I also put a candle because my mom always said India was really religious. Uh, I created three people, two that are in Canada and one that was left in China. I also built an apartment that they own and need to pay a bunch of money to keep it. (laughs) I also built a gun because there was war in China. Oh, listen to this. The bomb that destroyed my parents' house. Wow. Pretty cool scrolls. They made these scrolls with their stories. Mm-hmm. These are immigration stories uh-huh. that were written by first and second generation Canadian students from Randall Public School, grade six and seven. Okay. So some of the students wanted to write their stories down. For others, their story is told through the clay and clear glass objects they created, featured in the wooden cases. Hmm. Right here. Oh, yeah, in objects. Oh, I see. These are all created by immigrant children? Yes, all very unique. Mm-hmm. Yes, here, this telephone. Oh! Uh, central telephone. One ring a dingy, two <laughs> ring a dingy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And this is one piece of technology that always intrigued me as a mm-hmm, kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, is. The original con- communication systems. I mean, compare the iPhones we're carrying right now to this. To this. Switchboard. Switchboards, yeah. yeah. And they had to have human operators. Right, that's right. Many, nothing, many nothing of them many of sitting them. at banks of these things. The Toronto Star, Cornerstone Paving, all of these companies all had their own exchange. And look at this all manual. To hold. Hold, please. Analog. Yeah. Nothing's digital here. Hold, please. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So there we have it. Mellington Pepsi General Store. Hotel Alexandra. Have you noticed as we creep up on things, how lights come on? No. So we're in the zone and the oh, lights, and came, the lights on came on oh, and, and turned the lights on into this. Oh, that's a great idea. So what are we looking at here? A kitchen? A thing that really sticks in my mind as we're going through this place yeah. is the scale. How much smaller. Mm. And yet, it doesn't seem crowded at all. No, not at all. Well, you can imagine... Well, except you can probably imagine a mother working at the stove, a couple of kids playing there, the dad sitting in the corner carving or or smoking his pipe or or fixing something, the grandmother probably, right? Because these are extended families puttering Mm -hmm. about helping mom at the stove. So this room suddenly has five people in it. But don't you feel a sense of warmth? Oh, yeah, because of the materials. The materials and make the coziness, all the, the, the closeness. Yeah, yeah. There's an art to small, isn't there? Yes. There's an art to small, which we can learn from our ancestors. What's this? There's a still. Oh, the we've got still. a still here. Yeah. So they ferment the mash in there, and then boil it, and then you get the alcohol vapors and fumes that go in there and cool, uh-huh. and condense into heavy-duty alcohol. Right? Moonshine in the old days what was a do-it-yourself culture. In those days, you fixed everything. Yeah. Uh, everything was repairable. The point here, then, is that these signatures, if you like, which weren't really meant to last, they were just used to 
sustain people. Mm -hmm. There's something beautiful and right about that as compared to, I don't know, uh, a boring bank tower, mm -hmm. which will last some time, but it's a different signature. This signature feels right somehow mm -hmm. now. It feels connected even from a nature perspective. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The scale. That's right. Yeah. You can see this in the middle of a forest. You can see this next to a river. Yeah. You can Absolutely. see animals around it. Yeah, yeah. It's mm -hmm. conducive to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a reachability which you don't have in a high structure. It's immediate. You walk out, you're on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> 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 An old uh, pendulum clock. 1875, look at yeah. that. And even that's kind of refreshing. You know, instead of a digital flash, you get this beautiful piece of artwork. It is, gentle rocking. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do all that decorative work up there. No. But that was their idea of aesthetic beauty. And it still is beautiful to this day. And I think it's much like gardening, mm -hmm. wood carving. There's a tranquility. There's yeah. a sense of connection. Yep. Mm -hmm. Not rushed. Right, right. So we're going to bring our leisurely walk here to a, a close at the MOD. And we're going to do our usual... Uh, Ciao, Peter, sign off. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. These time passages There's something back there that you left behind Oh, time passages The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.